0: Hi everyone, I'm your host Daniel Lee, and welcome to OMD Daily, a podcast about investing in people. Every Monday to Friday, I share with you what I learned the day before from studying people and companies through conversations, whether it's through interviewing investors and business leaders to reading books and financial reports, and digesting learnings from all the other storytelling mediums out there. The goal is to build my own PhD in combining human performance with investing to figure out how I can help leaders build utopian companies. By exploring my own curiosity, I hope to become a little wiser every day and hope this adds a little nugget of learning to you on a daily basis. Hello, welcome back to Omni Daily. This is May 21, 2020. Um, so today was a very successful day in terms of my own... What was that? Getting work done? I don't know what you call it. Productivity, yes, that's the word. Yeah, so much of the day was spent on... The Morningstar research report I was working on um, over the week, finally completed it and published it, the full report, I think something around 14 pages or so uh, on my website. I I tried to kind of focus on areas that I thought were more interesting and more crucial, etc. Um, but yeah, still couldn't control the full length the way I wanted to, so it, came, it kind of came out longer. Although... In one way, I was pretty disciplined on it. It probably would have been something like 30 pages if I got to write everything I wanted to. But overall, I think it was, was, once again, fun to learn more about the business. Um, Although I think I can be very honest in saying that I don't think I fully understand the business to the extent that I want to. And I think that kind of comes off in the kind of questions I ask myself as I'm writing the report. But overall, it was still pretty enjoyable. So I guess I'll, I'll kind of go through the highlights, summaries, the 20-foot view on the company for today's episode, if you're interested. So Morningstar, how would I characterize it? Um, it I'd call it a financial data platform. I don't know if I would call it a alternative data platform, but essentially they service all kinds of investors. Um, I think their mission is empowering individual investors, but... I think I would say most of their client base is the institutional money managers out there and like financial advisors and kind of more still on, I'd say the institutional money compared to the retail money, which would be people like, like people like me, just individual people investing in the stock market. And so they provide all kinds of services from credit ratings, like, they own DBRS as of recently, which is the fourth largest credit rating company. And they also have a lot of different product lines like Morningstar.com, which is kind of the typical website that people know them by. It's kind of like Yahoo Finance, but it's just much more detailed and you can do more on it. It's, I would say it's very much like uh, Capital IQ in some ways, but if you've never worked at a fund then you never had access to it and so I think an easier explanation might be it's similar to Bloomberg but I would argue it's not as powerful as Bloomberg um, but it's something that's accessible for a lot of the individual investors like Morningstar was the go-to uh, site for me when I was starting off in my investing journey so I've definitely had my fair share of using Morningstar in the early days, but when I worked at a fund, I definitely—I don't think I went to it much at all. I might have gone a few times, but it wasn't um, kind of the core toolkit that I used in my uh, in my days at a institutional fund. But yeah, so it it kind of runs the full gambit. I t- I call it a data business because much of what they do is also they kind of own a lot of this proprietary data. They also have their own kind of rating systems for mutual funds. That's how the business kind of started. That's the history where the founder, Joe Mansueto, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, but he kind of started the business uh, as a way of just kind of gathering all this mutual fund information that that was out there, but no one was aggregating it. And this was back in the 1980s, I think. And mutual funds weren't as common a thing back then either and so it was kind of this niche market and Morningstar came out kind of dominated it and from there they solely started uh, building up further business lines and just accumulating more kinds of data it's not just public market uh, stock data but kind of overlaying their own analytics on top of it creating their own rating system for uh, mutual funds like when you work at a fund they a lot of times or even if you go to um, the website of a lot of the big mutual funds, they will try to kind of, I guess, brag and boast the Morningstar awards that they get. And, you know, whether you're a five-star fund, four-star fund, et cetera, that's kind of how people use rate the funds. Um, and yeah, there's like various other ways of, I think that Morningstar kind of tries to add more value by saying like, oh, like style boxes, for example, like are you a value and value large cap fund? Like that kind of stuff. So they kind of, I think they have it as part of their kind of information system to provide investors with more information. So that's kind of that kind of uh, added value. And it's just, I think they overlay a lot of like the proprietary data. And so it kind of goes to the point where I think I would say there are money managers out there who link up their kind of internal system to Morningstar's data. And that I think also works with financial sites like, I think some of their clients are Yahoo Finance and Google Finance, where they just pull the data from Morningstar's data repository, and their own sites get populated. So then they'll, start, they'll pay Morningstar for using Morningstar data, for example. And other funds, like or financial firms like Goldman Sachs, Charles Schwab, they all use Morningstar data as well, on top of probably using Bloomberg and S&P Capital IQ. So it I would say it's relatively similar in terms of those products, just to kind of get your head around it. And credit ratings, pretty similar. It's like S&P, Moody's, Fitch, and then there's DBRS. You rate and give ratings to debt issuers and most people want at least two opinions or two different ratings from different rating agencies and it's kind of a fully regulated industry. So that's a pretty easy thing to look at. Um, Something else I think that was interesting about Morningstar was their acquisition of PitchBooks back in 2016. So PitchBooks is a... It's uh, I guess it's kind of like Morningstar in one way, but it's purely focused on private companies. So it's I think it, I would say it's similar to CB Insights in one way, where you have data on all these private companies that just aren't you know easily accessible for many people. But because we have this world where there's so many private companies now compared to the publicly listed companies, and taking it's taking private companies longer to list on the public exchanges, and venture capital and private equity has been kind of in a boom in the last few years. So PitchBook has been, has been this kind of key asset that's this rapid growth as even public fund managers want to have access to these private company data so that when the companies IPO, they'll be ready. But also because these private companies are so big that they're actually impacting um, how public equity companies work as well. So that kind of data becomes valuable. And I think that's kind of on the stream of what people are now calling alternative data. It's not just, uh, you know, typical fundamental data that you find in annual reports in 10Ks, but data like, you know, credit card spend or driving mileage, um, you know, and what else could be there um, or for like flights, like the, the kind of, I forget what the acronyms are, but there's various flight data on how many passengers there were, how many air miles were actually traveling the year, like those would be considered, I'd say, alternative data that, various investors will kind of incorporate into their business analysis and thesis as well and understanding the company so yeah that's how that's what i would say morningstar's business is in it's just kind of plainly speaking they provide the full gamut of services um, and platforms for investors but essentially it's selling this kind of giant data platform for people and when you're selling data it for me, it felt like Morningstar's kind of core advantage came down to the elements that are important when you're selling data, which would be the ability to actually trust in that data. And that trust is kind of reliant. It it, en- it encompasses the elements of requiring um, the data to be independent, especially if it's analytical um, or kind of... A- providing an opinion in nature like for example credit ratings or morningstar also has a lot of research that they publish that are it's kind of similar to typical equity research sell site shop so morningstar will write investment research and companies and when you when they give that kind of rating you want to know that they'll be unbiased they'll be independent and they will give they're kind of honest judgment on that so it's that kind of data where you want trust is so important and so then the company needs to be very transparent in what they're doing and you just want to inherently believe that they will be independent in that like there was a huge issue with independence back in the financial crisis where we had the credit rating agencies that really were not independent and they were giving all these AAA bond ratings to things that really shouldn't have been triple and it was definitely uh I think it's fair to say it was kind of fraudulent behavior from the credit rate rating agency side, but that business didn't go away. They were obviously penalized, but the damage done was much far greater than the penalties that these rating agencies ever received. And that's actually interesting because Morningstar decided to go into the credit rating agency right after the financial crisis because they thought it was an opportunity. And it could rightly have been um, the right way to think about it because if you believe that your brand is based on consumers trusting you and that you're actually very independent and very transparent in how you operate your business then that could actually become a very strong competitive advantage in an industry where that holds a lot of weight right like financial services when you're dealing with a lot of other people's money and you're dealing with billions of dollars everywhere or even if you're an an individual investor who's investing your life savings you want to be able to trust the institution you're working with you want to be able to trust the data that you're getting and that can you know lead to people wanting to pay up for these kinds of services and want to use warning star um, as well as other data providers as well because i think most of the times you don't end up choosing to use just one provider exclusively like i don't think many firms say oh we're only going to use Morningstar, we're only going to use um, Capital IQ. Like You kind of end up using the full gambit. You get the full uh, subscription service for all the data out there because who doesn't want more, more data? And I think that's something else I kind of felt uh, reading about the company as well where as I thought about it, it's it's, it's kind of like you're, the there's an element of selling to the human insecurity that is prevalent now, which I think is data. I think we're in a world where everybody's like people want things to be backed up with quantitative figures. If you can't explain it with numbers and it's kind of, you know, considered not a valid enough decision to make and being analytical becomes synonymous with being quantitative. And like, there isn't a single person I think out there who, who will say like, Oh yeah, I'm not quantitative. I think most people will try to position themselves to be analytical and quantitative. And that becomes a very huge selling point for a lot of investment funds as well. Like what fund will tell their clients, oh, we're not quantitative at all? We're not analytical at all. Oh, we don't we don't use all the data. I mean that's gonna be a pretty tough sell, I think, for to clients. And so it's kind of this world where if data is a commodity and it's cheap, then people will probably want to gather as much of the data they can, as long as they can trust it. And I think that puts that makes the industry itself quite resilient for a company like Morningstar, because it's kind of like you know it's kind of like an addiction, really. It's kind of the addiction that people have just to have more data. You know, the best data scientists are not going to work for most of these companies out there. They probably work at Google and Facebook, and they're paid you know, millions of dollars, they probably aren't going to work at a financial service firm. I really doubt that, you know, unless you're working for Jim Simons at Renaissance where they just have a bunch of proprietary data sets. I think most funds, they'll just want to just at least have the data so that they at least have all the resources, you know. So that was just kind of this kind of, uh, I think, well, overwhelming thought that I was having throughout this it, as I was just thinking about the company of, of you know why why has this company been able to grow and be relatively successful over these years because Morningstar has been around for oh I want to say 30 30 plus years it I'm going through my notes my report right now yes yeah, so it was founded actually in 1984 so yeah it's been around for a pretty long time and it's currently close to like a 6.3 billion dollar company in market cap and it has you know close to seven thousand employees in 27 countries so it's out there it's been around and but despite how long it's been around it's i don't think it's as uh, as big of a household name is something I, I i at least feel i don't think many people are actively looking at this stock, which got me really interested. The reason I looked at this company was because um, the founder and currently current, I think, executive chairman, Joe Mansueto, kept on popping up in the radar as this really fascinating, interesting C- um, CEO. And when I read a couple of his interviews and read his shareholder letter, I felt that this was definitely a very unique individual who was very caught, you know, had this, Cost discipline. He, uh, there isn't a single word, but it's kind of like he, he embodied the Warren the Warren Buffett ethos. It's just kind of like it's, it's like one of those things when you know it when you see it, and when I was reading about the press about his career, where you know his entrepreneurial career constantly finding bargains you know selling christmas trees trying this curiosity to just you know you're you're an mba grad from a prestigious school and you decide to work at an arby's uh as a night shift manager just because you're curious just because you actually want to learn about the industry how many you know mba grads do that i just don't i just feel that many are so stuck up and filled with prestige and they just believe that they're too above it all to ever do that and I say this after knowing many people go <laughs> through the MBA program. And I honestly, like, personally for me, I'm not judging other people. I'm saying, even for me, I'd be very, really heartfelt uh, heartfelt to do that kind, of, um, that kind of job just out of sheer curiosity. I think I'd probably end up just asking a bunch of friends who run restaurants. Like that's what I've been doing with podcasting as well, just asking people what it's been like. So Joe definitely has this kind of curiosity that really drives him. And he also has this kind of contrarian, I think, uh, this whole like contrarian aura behind him where, you know, he built Morning's like, he was so focused on building this Morningstar like business. Like he had the idea in the 1980s. Um, like he, well, he, I think he was, he says he was early inspired by Warren Buffett to think about businesses a certain way. And he does coin, um, Warren Buffett as kind of the inspiration behind Morningstar, and eventually when he started the business, he had this kind of vision that publishing was going was a great business, like something that fit Warren Buffett's definition. And he didn't kind of approach it in a very traditional way. He kind of built this contrarian company where it really had this very unique culture where it was really focused on creating a working working environment that where everyone would quote unquote tap dance to work. And he kind of spearheaded this idea of focusing on trust, focusing on transparency inside the culture of the organization. And I feel like that's probably why Morningstar was able to succeed over time, um, where people started trusting what they're writing more and why people would rely on their service, et cetera. And so if we look at the track record of you know how a company like this has been able to grow for such a long period of time, i say that that's definitely part of the DNA, Um and I think it all kind of really stems from the founder. Like Joe, when he IPO'd the company in 2005, he had a 78% ownership in the business. Like that's that's kind of unheard of in many degrees. Like I, You rarely see that nowadays. And Joe still has a, close to a 50% ownership in the business. He has like 49%. And he is by far the, the largest shareholder there. And that also... Kind of was the init- the attraction on the management side as well, where I loved seeing this you know founder still act as a major shareholder for the company, uh, even when he was a CEO, he barely took much compensation at all. I think he might, I think he might have taken a really low salary, like hundred thousand dollars or something, um, or he might have not taken any at all. Uh, I for- I forget I did look at the proxy statement, in the earliest but um, it's just not coming to my head at the moment. But yeah, Joe since stepped down um, as CEO to the executive chairman role, I think in 2017, and Kunal Kapoor has took over the CEO mantle in Morningstar, and Kunal's been with the company for 23 years, I believe he's joined in 1997 as an analyst and stayed all throughout his entire career at the company, and initially I think that kind of maybe a little iffy on the on the business because i just like seeing the founder and major shareholder actually run the business instead of taking a back seat um joe's been pretty active in his ventures like he has a separate venture fund where he owns inc magazine and fast company magazine um i can definitely tell that publishing a magazine's a big passion area for him and he bought those two magazines at a discount price as well when they were struggling um as a companies didn't know how to deal with the onslaught of digital advertising so then you you see this kind of persona still ingrained there with this kind of contrarian guy who constantly looks for discounts and also joe bought a soccer team in chicago so it that was kind of a worrying factor for me as i I was looking at the company just wondering you know is the guy that is a major shareholder who built this company into what is now going to be active um but I'd say in the recent 5 years or so Morningstar has definitely it seems like kind of pivoted away from what its core business was which started out with mutual fund ratings and it was kind of a traditional business that sold all this data and you know it was just a financial data platform for investors and I'd call that kind of the legacy business and it was moving into you know the index business in in a way where they create they're trying to create their own indices, they're trying to they're they're moving into investment management, they're moving into financial advisors and trying to package it all up with their own kind of proprietary research. And they had some pretty big acquisitions as of late that Kunal was involved in both for. Like Pitchbook was the acquisition in twenty, I think, sixteen that was a pretty I'd say it was a pretty big deal for Morningstar because Pitchbook, I think, is one of the top private Uh, private company data platforms and that is i think it's one of the it's probably the fastest growing segment for morningstar's various product lines and then there's been the dbrs acquisition in 2019 where they practically bought out the fourth largest credit rating agency and so now they've been able to kind of provide this whole suite of just data really because they're tackling they're tackling it from private equity they're tackling it from credit ratings they also bought sustain uh sustain analytics which is kind of the leader in ESG data along with MSCI so they're attacking that area and yeah it's I can't fully wrap my head around how the business is going to look but it's very interesting to see them add these various data points and uh, as The management was talking about in the 2018 shareholder meeting and 2019 shareholder meeting they're continuously talked about this kind of convergence of the public and private uh, markets and how the data set when it can cross-pollinate between the two markets it'll be much more effective and i think they're trying to create this kind of one-stop shop for that and even overlaying the analytics capabilities they have with the credit rating side as well so i think that would be very fascinating i think um The overall company being, I'd say, much more on the innovative side than the old guard, which is kind of more like the Bloomberg, the S&P, the Moody's. Uh, They all have their own data products. They have their own analytics products. And, you know, they're the strong, big incumbents. But I am actually much, like I could actually see to a reasonable degree Morningstar challenging um, the leadership that the big guys have. So that'd be very interesting to watch. And yeah, so in, in much of the report, like I'm not going to go into too much detail of it, um, kind of go through, you know, how does the company make money? I think from a high level, you know, I talked about the various products, mainly like some 60, 65% of the total revenues come from five major products. That includes DBRS, PitchBook, Morningstar Data, Morningstar Direct, and I'm forgetting one more. I think it's Morningstar Investment Management where they manage all these like retirement accounts um and various like you know it's through there i think morningstar funds for example i think that's just through the very basic getting basis points off of the assets under management traditional investment management stuff um i think let's see i think about let's say 70 75 percent of their revenue is recurring um just give or take because a good chunk um like 70 plus percent come from the license business where it's all just annual subscriptions it's like you know i don't know if you'd call it SaaS. i guess it's it could be considered SaaS, but these are annual subscriptions you pay for it and then you just have access to the full site and its various um I guess exclusive premium data points and yeah so that that's like the big chunk of it and then there's the asset based side which i would say is in some somewhat recurring because you just have the assets under management and you're just skimming management fees off the top at you know one percent or under one percent and then the small slivers transaction based revenue which is mainly on the credit rating side um but of the total credit rating business i believe about 30% is actually recurring and 30 to 40% is recurring in nature so then we kind of get to the 75% to maybe 80% of total revenue actually be having some kind of recurring nature behind it and it's pretty i'll say the retention is pretty high um like the five year average for renewal rates on the subscription like licensing uh, license products has been around 99 to 100% and so it seems that people are continuously um, renewing their licenses and, yeah, using the Morningstar service. And I think there definitely is that kind of intermingling of all these various services, like Pitch, when you sign up for PitchBook and you have Morningstar Data, Morningstar Direct, um, the Morningstar like Office Cloud, you'll probably start integrating much of it into your system. And the cost for these, I think, subscriptions aren't, going to be a material function of the client. Like Morningstar services practically I'd say on average like fifty percent of the financial service world. Um like they service fifty percent of all the asset management firms globally. They service forty percent of the financial advisors in North America. They have more than five thousand venture capital private equity funds under in their kind of client book. So I think it's pretty fair to say they probably have a good 40-50% of the financial service world as their clientele, all the big banks with their clients. But the largest client accounts for less than 2% of their total revenue. And so in one way, I think I, I felt that the overall cost to the client for using Morningstar probably isn't on the high end when you have all these giant... Uh, financial companies as your clients, and so for Morningstar's clients, most of their expenses are going to be in human capital, and you know paying a lot of money for all their finance professionals. So, in one way, it's kind of like an essential service, right? Like I know at a fund, if you don't have Bloomberg, if you don't have Cap IQ, and if you're at least in my experience, the fund that I worked at, a lot of our Uh, investment process was integrated with cap iq precisely and bloomberg as well i'd say so if we didn't have the subscriptions then it would actually greatly uh, impact our operational capabilities like we wouldn't be able to use any of our models that we built Um, yeah it would definitely impair our ability to do the job but it's not a material component of the operating cost of the business so i think that's a similar strand for Morningstar as well where from what I've read it seems like a lot of what their data service provides is pretty well integrated into the uh, everyday kind of operational duties of their clients and so it's an essential service doesn't cost a lot so the switching cost is probably pretty high kind of related to the high re- renewal rates in the subscription um, so and that's probably why the recurrence of the revenue is kind of more predictable even though these are just annual subscriptions i can you know people can cancel but they don't so it kind of shows a stickiness that i kind of expected but it was kind of nice to see um and yeah, it's overall i think a lot of my curiosity was definitely focused on the other parts of the market like the i didn't know that the total addressable market for private capital markets data was to like 2.3 billion dollars I didn't know that the global spend on financial data was 32 billion dollars um, for comparison Morningstar's revenue is only a, a billion uh, in revenue and now they're in the investment management business in some way I don't know if they'll be successful at it but that's obviously a 9.3 trillion dollar industry they're in the global rate credit rating business which is an 8 billion dollar industry um, I, apparently the sustainable funds the esg uh, world is 900 billion in assets under management the index industry is 3.7 billion dollars sustainable bonds are another like nearly half a trillion dollar industry and so morningstar's continuously tackling all these unique markets that are all very big and they're still pretty small you know, in, compar- in comparison so i think that's very exciting um and yeah a lot of a lot of the work was also focused i think on the culture side like that's where i like to focus on and i feel that the crux of their product the crux of what they produce is reliant on the culture it's reliant on this business that is trying to foster an element of trust and transparency within the organization and I got some examples from, you know, what the founder did. I got some examples from how management looks at acquisitions where there's a lot of focus on cultural alignment. Um, I heard about why uh, the person who, who runs DBRS now for Morningstar, Detlef Schultz, why he left Moody's to come join Morningstar. And there was a lot of this focus on inno- this innovative culture that just didn't seem to exist at Moody's. But I I still didn't feel like I was fully convinced that there was something unique with Morningstar's culture. Like, I could, like, I was learning plenty about what Joe had done for Morningstar, but he's just not there anymore. So I think that's where I kind of ended the report, just on a little kind of cautious note. I could see the potential, I could see they have some pretty solid assets but like when i read the recent shareholder letters i just wasn't very convinced that um they were fully doing their best to like invest on the people side as much like they talk about it in a very high level like i asked questions regarding like how did they actually invest in their people and like the annual reports don't do a very good job of breaking any of it out either um which makes it harder for me to look at i think if you know they said they prioritize on they prioritize capital allocation uh, with a preference to invest in internal organic expansion so that means practically just more human capital like that's really their expense as human capital and they do capitalize software uh, software as part of their ppne which i think is a great sign like it's they're doing they're showing signals of transparency I think I think that's covered in some sense. Like they're a company that doesn't do meetings with sell side analysts. They don't have preferences for large funds or individual investors. They just have one shareholder meeting. They answer all the questions there. And so in that aspect, I think there's that transparency that I really like. But I'm just not as convinced at the moment on like the whole independence aspect. Um, I don't know. I just haven't seen a lot of evidence at the moment. Maybe it's just because I haven't done a lot of digging. But that's just kind of how I felt about the business, um, just from what I was reading and just the amount of information that was portrayed. Overall, though, I think when I kind of looked through the recent years and the last kind of three years in particular, if I tried capitalizing the investments that they make on the human capital side, um, I think I came out to a business that could potentially have between 30 to 40% return invested capital over the the last three years Um, and for me that kind of gave me something close like a 10 percent free cash flow yield um, at this current valuation of 6.3 billion dollars so given that price i think i felt uh, the return i was seeing was pretty favorable Um, the the business has been growing in something like a mid-teens range at say in total revenue growth um year over year i think organic growth was like eight percent or nine percent um but yeah i think acquisitions will probably continue to be a big part of the story that's something i'm curious on they said MA is kind of their last priority but recently i think i'm seeing that they're kind of trying to aggregate um these kind of various alternative data sites but we'll see uh kunal has said that there will be very strict and prudent and that cultural alignment will come first so we'll see how he executes on that i had some beef with or issue with the compensation scheme i won't go too detail too much detail into it but i didn't feel that the compensation for the management was aligned with shareholders at all and especially with joe no longer being at the helm i felt um this new compensation scheme that they created in 2015 or 2015 or 2017 Actually, it might be a 2017 team because I think they changed the compensation and performance measurement metrics after Joe stepped down. So I thought that too was mm, just not optimal. And so overall, I think I kind of left on the note of, yeah, it's, it's an interesting company. Um, I think it's not as fully appreciated as its peers, but that could probably be the fact that it's not as dominant as its larger competitors are I think Um, but it doesn't change the fact that the products that it it provides play a very essential role in its current clientele I think the question will be on can they generate sufficient organic growth or will they be kind of a kind of a data acquisition story I think that's the question going forward I think they currently have some pretty powerful assets that are growing really quickly and yeah, I think it it would be a pretty interesting company to follow continuously. Um, so when I think, like when I thought about you know, how would this company look five years out, twenty twenty five, I could see it challenging the big three in credit ratings. I could see it um, leading various niche uh, market segments, like being the leader in private market data, being the leader in ESG data. I, and I do, but I don't think it can really win in like the investment management side. I don't know if it can really win in being the go-to data provider for investment funds. I think Bloomberg and S&P have it all cemented down. But I think they can create their own niche where they can combine all their products to become just kind of one-stop shop um for the individual investors but i don't know how valuable that will be is the other question it would be very interesting though if they can create ways to partner up with existing uh platforms because it seems to be the case that even for new entrants coming in like all these fintech companies that are venture funded they utilize morningstar's data as a foundation so they become clients of morningstar as much as a competitor So it'd be interesting to see if Morningstar can find a way to partner up with all these other companies or just be very innovative in how they create more products and integrate their service lines. So, yeah, that was just kind of the uh, result of the research. Um, Yeah, I think overall it was a pretty fun experience. Learned more about this particular company, learned a little more about the CEO, um, but, yeah, it wasn't kind of, the, kind of a, oh, my God, this is an amazing opportunity. This isn't, like, it wasn't a, it wasn't the same uh, emotional reaction I had when I first read Constellation Software. I'll give you that. I think that's kind of always what I'm gauging to. Like, if I read a com- about a company and I get the same amount of uh, excitement as, a, as when I read Constellation Software, I think that's a big deal. This one definitely wasn't the case. But, yeah, that was kind of the overall high-level view. Um, just thoughts on the company itself after having published the report today so if you're curious to kind of read more on the details and my thoughts on it um, feel free to go to my website and read the report I'll attach the link to um, the report in the show notes for your ease of searching and yeah that's kind of it for the day and thanks for tuning in I appreciate it and I will chat with you again tomorrow take care